Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And this is the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. Caroline, what will you be edifying us about this week? Edifying us? Yes. Wow. Well, Sean, on our Patreon, I put a poll up to see what kind of paranormal story our listeners wanted to hear next, and the votes were in. They wanted a haunted location episode. Mm -hmm. So much like our haunted Hollywood and haunted dolls episodes, I pulled together 10 stories all centered around one topic the most haunted cemeteries in the world. Oh, now this seems like cemeteries seem like they would be rife for hauntings, right, uh, Carrie? Or, well, do ghosts go where the where the bodies go or where the uh, ghosts die? That's the thing. Um, you usually will get a story or two about cemeteries, but most of the time they're haunting the places that they spent the most time, not the places where their body is going to be spending the rest of eternity. But some of these cemeteries, well, they do have ghosts, Sean. Because they're the scenes of murders? Uh, not usually. <laughs> it seems like one-stop shopping. It's just convenient. It would be. For part one today, we'll discuss five of the most haunted cemeteries in the world. And I'll cover the second half next week. Oh, two-parter. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Okay. Well, there, there's a lot of good stories, Sean. I didn't want to give anything the short shift. Now, as you mentioned, cemeteries are naturally very creepy. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> They're a monumental reminder about our death and of human frailty, literally a testament to the little time we have on Earth. On that happy note, <laughs> uh, <laughs> cemeteries weren't always considered creepy, though. They used to be a hot picnicking spot in the 19th century for families and couples alike. Well, that explains why the art used to be so nice. <laughs> well, it was definitely very death-focused. But at the time, cemeteries were really the closest thing that we had uh, to public parks. Those weren't really common yet. Um, but cemeteries were often beautiful, with well-kept trees and vegetation. They were quiet, and they had plenty of space. So you could basically go and break bread with your family members, both alive and dead, and enjoy a sunny day on the grass. I know if you get off of 95 in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, you, you and you're driving by Yale, there's a big park right there. And that public park was a cemetery mm -hmm. until public parks started becoming a thing. And then they moved all the headstones somewhere else. Mm -hmm. They did not move the bodies. You didn't move the bodies. Yeah, so at this point, this was at a time where, as a culture, we lived with death more casually than we do now. Funerals used to happen right in the home. Mourning jewelry, that's M-O-U-R, uh, used to be Oh, these, these are just my mourning jewels. <laughs> um, like locks of hair from someone who had passed away, or even vials of your own tears. Death was generally a routine visitor to, at the time, very large families. Women commonly died in childbirth more often, and children and others died from illnesses like yellow fever, cholera, tuberculosis. Death was just kind of a day-to-day -day thing. Now, when I was in high school, even the most emo, emo girl wouldn't have dared wear a, a vial of her own tears around her neck, surely. <sighs> 
Well, I didn't do it, but <laughs> not sure if anyone else did. When death itself became less common due to our increasing knowledge about medicine and science, see Renaissance Poison and Hygienic Horrors, yes. episode 29. Two weeks ago, uh, Carrie did put some hair on my chest with that one. <laughs> Uh, that's when death became more frightening to us because it didn't happen so consistently. And the tale of the haunted cemetery really began to take shape. They weren't always uh, uh, creeped out by, I mean, not just the concept of death, but the idea that there would be ghosts or, or zombies or something in a cemetery. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Uh, ghosts were definitely part of storytelling and things. I mean, just think of A Christmas Carol and the three ghosts there. Um, they were definitely something spooky and ghost stories were popular, but it just wasn't as swept under the rug in a way. I think we're very uncomfortable with death as a culture, at least the American culture nowadays, mm -hmm. because it's so much less common, um, hopefully, you know, to you and your family. So well, I mean, it's it's a hundred percent right. I common. mean, I mean, <laughs> everybody does it. A, a woman could go ha have a baby and not be expected to just die in the in labor and all of these things. So it makes it harder to deal with. Yeah, child death is like a rare tragedy now and not a fact of life for most families. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, Timmy got caught in the lorry again. The lorry? I don't know. I think that's a truck. I hope. Well, he got caught in the truck, Sean. Oh, no. Timmy's parents are living in another time. <laughs> yeah, literally. So I'll begin this episode with one caveat. There are three commonly listed haunted cemeteries on basically most of these most haunted cemetery lists that I won't be discussing in this series for different reasons. Oh. First, Hollywood Forever in Hollywood, California. Gets its own. Well, no, we've already discussed that one. Oh, yes. On episode 11, Haunted Hollywood. Second, Cemetery Hill in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I'm planning to do a special Haunted Gettysburg episode in the future. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to include that one in it. And last, but certainly not least, Union Cemetery in our own neighboring town of Easton, Connecticut. This is one of my favorite cemeteries of all time, and it really deserves its very own episode as possibly the most haunted cemetery in America. We also took engagement photos in it. We did, because we're weird. Uh, it's the subject of a standalone book by our faves, well, maybe my faves, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, not, not my faves, I'll just <laughs> get right on the record. And uh, yeah, I think it deserves a, a little deep dive all its own. I also want to say that I was heavily inspired for these two episodes by my favorite episode of the now defunct Unbelievable Podcast, number 141, Haunted American Cemeteries. One of Caroline's all-time favorite podcasts and has quickly become one of mine yeah. since she introduced me. R.I.P. to one of the real ones, Brian, Phoebe, Sebastian, Kevin, please come back. I'm begging you. <laughs> just in case that R.I.P. was confusing. They're, they're all <laughs> they're, alive. They're alive. They just ended the podcast. Um, I'm definitely curbing a few sound bites ideas from that one, but rest assured, I'll be profiling American cemeteries that are also basically listed everywhere as the most haunted. And I'll even be going global for the other half of them in the interest of fairness. Who? Oh. 
I'm not listing these haunted cemeteries in any order, but Sean, I would like you to rank them after each story based on how haunted you think they are, or at least they seem. Okay. One being a literal walk in the park and 10 being, oh my God, someone get an exorcist. So 10 is like... The most haunted. Poop rolling down your pants. Ew. I mean, I guess. (laughs) So yeah. One, pants are dry. Pants are... Bone dry. So let's get to it. I'm going to start with one we've both been to, Howard Street Cemetery in Salem, Massachusetts. This isn't the most popular cemetery in Salem. That would be the old burying point, but it is the most haunted. Salem, as I would hope most of our listeners know, was home to the famous witch trials of 1692 and 93, wherein 19 men and women were hanged for witchcraft and one man, Giles Corey, 81 years old, was pressed to death by heavy stones. More weed! Mm -hmm. This was America's most famous witch hunt and an infamous case of mass hysteria. I will be doing a multi-part series on the Salem witch trials in the future, but for now, let's concentrate on Giles Corey. Giles Corey was not a good guy. Uh, No, famously. (laughs) He was a known jerk around the Salem area and had even been brought to trial for the murder of his farmhand, Jacob Goodale, around 15 years before the witch trials. And he he was basically like an argumentative drunk, right? Just an old, bitter asshole. He testified against his own wife, Martha, at the beginning of the witch trials, and though he later withdrew his accusations, she was sentenced to be hanged. Nice job, Giles. I know, seriously. Karma. He's, ca- like, he's like, take my wife, please, <laughs> and hang her for witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. Karma came around, though, and Giles himself was accused days before Martha was to be executed. He was brought to trial to plead his case, but he stood silent. His refusal to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty was strategic. According to the law of the time, a person who refused to plead couldn't be tried. Right. So easy peasy, right? Sure, yeah, because certainly if they can't try you, they're not going to end your life. (laughs) Well, to avoid people cheating justice, there is the English punishment of peine forte et dure, or strong and harsh punishment. That's, um... I was going to say that's what they called me in the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Strong and harsh punishment. So never mind. Emphasis on the punishment. Um, My wife, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) That would be translated to him being pressed with heavy stones until he finally entered a plea. Corey still refused to plead, even as his chest was literally being crushed, simply uttering the words... More weight! More weight, over and over again. As just larger boulders were put mm-hmm. on top. At one point, Sheriff George Corwin had to stuff Corey's tongue back into his mouth with his cane when it was forced out by the pressure. And Corwin took great delight in stacking on the stones and even standing and jumping on Corey's chest. This is an 81-year-old man. How old is the sheriff? Because he's probably not that spot. Uh, late all 20s. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. This asshole yes. kid. 
Eventually, Corey's chest caved in, and he never did enter a plea before his death. Why would he stubbornly keep refusing to plead? I mean, especially if he was innocent. Do you want me to answer? Because I know the answer. I'll tell you. <laughs> because of his silence, he died in full possession of his estate, which would have otherwise been forfeited to the government. Therefore, because he was silent, it was passed on to his, sons in, his two sons-in-law and not the very men that murdered him. Corey was buried in an unmarked grave, just another statistic in the trials. And that was it, right? Well, probably. Also, I, I just want to say, I don't know if it's it was this true in real life, but um, in The Crucible, they definitely paint it that Corey would have known that about the penal code uh, or the legal code because he knew the laws very well because he was constantly suing his yes. neighbors because he was an asshole. Yes. And again, he went to trial multiple times, including for murder. Yeah, but sometimes for like theft. They're cutting my grass. Yeah. He was on both sides of the law. Apparently before his death, Corey muttered at the cruel Sheriff Corwin, Damn you! I curse you, Sheriff, and all of Salem! You know, in stories like this, sometimes I doubt that you would have the peace of mind to, to shout out a curse. He said more weight. I mean, that's quippy. Though Corey was probably not a witch, it seems his curse did take hold. Since Corey's death, all the sheriffs, including Corwin himself, who died at the young age of 30, have died or resigned due to cardiac complications. As of 1991, they don't even have a town sheriff's office in Salem anymore, apparently for this exact reason. It is, it is chilling because it's a very long time. <laughs> For um for every sheriff in town to have died of a heart attack. It is the leading cause of death in the U.S., especially among men. Maybe that was Giles Corey's fault. Who knows? Oh, do you think he cursed the entire United States? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Dang it, Giles. Dang it, Giles. You're the reason I can't eat fried chicken. <laughs> Howard Street Cemetery was opened in 1801 on the very land where Corey was pressed to death and probably buried in thereafter. Many have stayed... Oh, we, we don't know where he was definitely buried? No, unmarked grave. They weren't allowed to be buried uh, in hallowed ground because they were witches. Mm -hmm. And some uh, were able to kind of sneak the bodies away in the night. I think Rebecca Nurse's family was probably able to do that. But most of them were just buried wherever. So was this just a hill that became a cemetery after the fact? 1801. Yes. Great. But were they like, I think this is, Giles Corey is it probably like somewhere em, around here. It Let's... was an empty field, so they used it. And I don't think it was because of Giles Corey. It just happened to be the same place. Let's get this guy in a graveyard. I mean, I think it worked out pretty well for Giles. The property value went way up after he bought the house. Well, many have stated that they've seen Giles Corey's apparition floating among the tombstones, or have even attested to being touched by cold, clammy hands. And this isn't just your weird boyfriend. Uh, there is no one that the hands belong to, of course. You kids get off my lawn! <laughs> Giles Corey is a spirit you certainly don't want to see. It seems an appearance by his ghost is a harbinger of impending doom, much like our cryptid friend, the Mothman. Well, plus he's just such a, he's just going to bitch and moan all the time. <laughs> Some saw his spirit hovering in the cemetery grounds just before the Great Salem Fire of 1914 that destroyed most of the city. Did a sheriff die in the fire? 
No. Not Giles Corey's work. You want to know where the fire began? Yeah. Near Gallows Hill, the site of Martha Corey's hanging. My God. Yeah, but Giles was cool with that. He testified for no, it. No, he took it back. I mean, it wasn't a good job that he did, but he took it back. If you'd like to pay your respects to Mr. Corey and hopefully get on his good side during your stay in Salem, you can stop into the Howard Street Cemetery and also visit his memorial stone at the old burying point nearby. And also take a ghost tour, every one of them. We'll tell you this story. Well, it's an important Salem ghost story. It is like one of the central ones, yeah. And I don't know how legal it is to be in there at night, but most of the cemetery isn't uh, fenced. And it's just a really nice, peaceful place to go and sit and look over the town because you could get a great view from there. Yeah, that's becoming a tradition for us in our <laughs> Salem trips. Mm -hmm. So, Sean, on a scale of one to ten stones piled on your chest, how haunted do you think Howard Street Cemetery is? More stones. Um, I mean, I've sat in it without much of a sense of impending doom. Mm -hmm. But you didn't see Giles Corey. Well, no, but that's part of the problem. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to give this one. I do love that the sheriff's all died. So that's going to give it a couple extra points. <laughs> love that. Um, I, I, I think it's like a six. A six, six stones piled on your chest. Oh, more weight. <laughs> Next, we have Greyfriars Kirkyard in Edinburgh, Scotland. Greyfriars Kirkyard. Oh, I think I know this one. Mm -hmm, this Kirkyard means churchyard, is said to be the most haunted place in all of Edinburgh and perhaps even all of Scotland. And Edinburgh is an incredibly haunted city, right? Mm-hmm. The area around Edinburgh has been inhabited for thousands of years, at least all the way back to the early Middle Ages. This is an ancient area of land with the respective amount of history on it. So to be the most haunted place in this area, well, there's got to be a lot going on. Oh, yeah. The Kirkyard itself was founded in 1561, and stories of hauntings in the cemetery began soon after. Mm. One of the ghosts is said to be Sir George Mackenzie, a.k.a. Bloody Mackenzie. Oh, yes, Bloody Mackenzie. <laughs> Work, Bloody Mackenzie. Or, or this is in Great Britain, so are they just swearing? That's Bloody Mackenzie. <laughs> it is? Well, Sean, you're wondering how someone gets the name Bloody? Mackenzie helped Charles II uphold the National Covenant and round up those not pledging to the national religion at the time, the Church of Scotland, Oops. and imprisoned them on the grounds of the Kirkyard in what was known then as the Covenanter's Prison. Now, that probably worked out well for him, because if I remember correctly, nothing bad happened to Charles II. <laughs> the prisoners uh, were absolutely tortured, usually at the hands of Bloody Mackenzie himself, he was directly or indirectly responsible for the deaths of over 18,000 Scots while working to uphold the National Covenant. Wow. And this time in Scottish history was referred to as the killing time. I got to say that puts any serial killer we're going to cover on this podcast <laughs> to shame. I think some of it, uh, if not a lot of it, is, of course, him giving people orders to kill people. Yeah, like how but they say Alexander killed millions. He really enjoyed uh, torturing people. He finally was forced to finish his horrible work when he died in 1691 and was interred in a black mausoleum on the Kirkyard grounds. Oh, my God. Black Mausoleum is a great metal album name. 
Perhaps Bloody Mackenzie's torments didn't stop when he died, however. Many have reported that they've encountered an unruly spirit in the Kirkyard even today. Unruly, you say? (laughs) Is he murdering thousands? (laughs) Strange disembodied sounds have been heard in the graveyard, and some have claimed to feel horrible nausea while walking near the Black Mausoleum. One night in 1998, a man broke into the mausoleum and received the terrible shock of his life when he fell into a sinkhole that suddenly appeared next to Mackenzie's tomb. The man fell directly down into a pit full of plague victims. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) So they'd been there a while. They had been unceremoniously tossed into a mass grave centuries before, and he was tossed right on top of them. No! Needless to say, the man ran screaming. In 2004, two teens broke into the tomb and removed a number of unidentified remains, even beheading one corpse and using the skull like a hand puppet. What? (laughs) What what junior psychopaths were these? (laughs) They were later arrested and tried under a centuries-old grave-robbing law described as violation of sepulcher. Sepulcher. Violation of sepulcher? I think violation of sepulcher. That is awesome. That's like a Dungeons and Dragons (laughs) crime. Yeah. Thanks to the many who have attempted to break in over the years, the doors to the mausoleum remain locked, but visitors can still peek inside and recite a popular old children's rhyme in Scotland. Bloody McKingy, come out if you dare. Lift the snick and draw the bar. It's spelled really weird. (laughs) Bloody McKingy, come out if ye dar. Lift the snick and draw the bar. Bloody McKingy, come out of your door in the snick and draw the bar. Great. That's that's tough. It, it is it is written. It's old Scots. It's written in dialect. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do this, be careful. Since just 1999, there have been 350 documented poltergeist attacks. 170 people have collapsed inside the graveyard. And there have been reported hot and cold spots, as well as bruising, pushing, and scratching from unknown assailants. Not all the spirits at the Kirkyard are malevolent, though. In fact, there may be one that is downright adorable. Carrie? Is it the Greyfriars Bobby? Yeah. (laughs) We love the Greyfriars Bobby. I want to go to Edinburgh, mainly for this. The spirit of Greyfriars Bobby is a little Sky Terrier dog. Yes. Legend has it that Bobby belonged to a man named John Gray. When John passed, Bobby stood watch at his owner's grave for 14 years. Bobby himself died in 1872 and was buried inside Greyfriars, not too far from where his own owner was buried, which is nice. After that, people started hearing the sounds of barking in the Kirkyard, even when they didn't see any dogs around. And it's said that it's little Bobby guarding the grave of John Gray, even in death. This makes me want to cry. <laughs> it's the greatest. It's it's the best. And um, he's sweet. He is sweet. And I see the way uh, Poe is waiting by the door for you after you've been gone for like <laughs> 10 minutes. But he, but he, he looks so... Um, forlorn, and I think he probably feels in that moment exactly what the Greyfriars Bobby felt at his uh, at his master's grave. Yeah. So on a scale of one to ten ghost puppies, how haunted is Greyfriars Kirkyard? You know, now we've actually 
there's at least reports in this one of people being scratched and things like that. Mm -hmm. And there was that guy who fell down into the corpse juice. The corpse pit. Corpse pit. I mean, there's a corpse pit. That's going to give you a couple points. Corpse pit's my favorite metal band. So um, I'm up to a 7.5 on this one. 7.5 ghost puppies? Yeah, but it, it's tough because um, I don't know. I, I, I still feel like I need to leave some room. Yeah. Well, we'll see what other paranormal places we have to visit after the break. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Connecticut's first ever paranormal convention is coming this summer. Paracon! Paracon will be held Saturday and Sunday, July 24th and 25th, 2021, at the Haunted Ansonia Armory in Ansonia, Connecticut. And guess who's going to be there? This haunted weekend will feature special guests, paranormal investigations, seminars, panels, vendors, exhibits, and much, much more. Paracon is presented by Nick Grossman, head of Ghost Storm Investigations and collector of some of the rarest paranormal artifacts in the world, and Charles Rosenay, founder of Stratford's Fright Haven and director of Tours of Terror, Ghost Tours to Transylvania, Prague, England, and all over haunted Connecticut. Yeah, we've been to Fright Haven. Uh, when we went, he had a one. One of the rooms was uh, all clown themed. It was a bunch of scary clown stuff. But you wore three D glasses. It was pretty cool. That was the Saint Valentine's Day massacre, wasn't it? Uh, yes, they do seasonal offerings, not just Halloween. That was the Saint Valentine's Day massacre. It was a beautiful date. Our first Valentine's Day. So who will be at Paracon? Guests include paranormal investigator Barry Pirro. Author Bill Hall, who you may remember wrote The World's Most Haunted House, subject of episodes 17 and 18 of the podcast. Yep. Go check those out. Some of our very best work, mm -hmm. I think. And us. Yeah, we'll be there too, in person to chat all things scary. So come on down and meet us. Oh, I guess I spoiled your surprise there. But yes, we will have a booth at Paracon and we're so damn excited that we'll be there. Yeah. Do you like to shop? Well, they'll have their own bizarre bazaar. Haunt artists, horror authors, cryptozoologists, artisans, occult sellers, and much more will be there. So bring some bones, the money kind, and a good pair of walking shoes. You can bring the other kind of bones, too, if you, if you want. Yeah, maybe you can sell them. Who knows? We hope to see you there. Get your tickets now for only $9.99 per day through May 1st at www.paraconparacon.org. Is that a special deal for us or is that just how cheap tickets are? That's just how cheap tickets are until May 1st. Then it goes up like five bucks. Oh, you guys. Still, still a deal. This is a bargain at any price. <laughs> 
Paracon, Connecticut's first paranormal convention. Welcome back. When last we left you, we heard about the most terrifying and the most adorable of ghosts, <laughs> both of which could be found at the Greyfriars Kirkyard. By the way, I love they say Kirkyard. Yeah, it's their old way to say churchyard. Yeah, they're weird up there. <laughs> I'd love to go to Scotland. Um, Me too. But that's not the last or even necessarily the most haunted location that we're taking a little tour of tonight, is it, Carrie? Absolutely not. Our next up is St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 in New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, my God. Uh, when I let Carrie's parents know that I was going <laughs> to propose to her, we were about to go to, on a trip to New Orleans. And without prompting from me, her dad put his hand on my shoulder and said, don't you propose to my daughter in St. Louis Number 1 Cemetery. Don't you be stupid and propose to her at <laughs> Marie Laveau's grave. And you were kind of thinking about doing that, right? Yeah, of course I was. <laughs> well, it's probably for the best for reasons I'll get into later. Um, I will say that my dad knows a lot about New Orleans. He wrote a book involving ghosts uh, of all kinds um, in New Orleans called The Voodoo Cult's Treasure. And, uh, you know, if anyone's going to tell you not to propose to me somewhere, I guess it's going to be at least it's someone that knows what they're talking about. Would have been cool, though. I didn't think he thought the propo the proposal would be, like, crashed by ghosts. I think he just thought it would be dumb for me to do that. So where did you end up proposing to me? In the JetBlue terminal at JFK Airport. St. Louis number one is New Orleans' <laughs> oldest surviving gravesite, having been established by Spanish royal decree way back in 1789. In the space of just one block of area, St. Louis holds over 700 tombs and more than 100,000 buried bodies. Hmm. Some above ground, too, of course. In fact, Mark Twain himself gave St. Louis the name the City of the Dead. But is it also the City of the Undead? I don't know. I think that's what you're going to tell me. <laughs> one of the spirits said to haunt St. Louis number one is that of Henry Vines, a 19th century sailor. Vines lived at a local boarding house when he wasn't away sailing the ocean, and it was at this boarding house that he kept his most important possessions, namely his papers. Hmm. These papers included legal documents and such that were necessary for him to save, like the deeds to his family tombs, which were important, you know, passed down from generation to generation. Sure. Upon leaving for another voyage, Vines asked the owner of the boarding house to keep his papers safe while he was away and to take them if he died at sea. Uh-oh. Well, while Vines was on the voyage, this dickhead sold Henry's family tomb. What? Mm-hmm. Vines returned fine and well, but now he wasn't able to access his family vaults or even be buried in them when he passed away. That's a different level of shitty. Hey, what's worse? You remember when George Remus was selling with that uh, treasury agent in jail and then the treasury agent went and banged his wife? Yes, this was in one of our Patreon minisodes, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Oh, yes. The listener may not be uh, familiar. Anyway, is this better or worse than that? For a thing to do to a guy while he's away. It's pretty bad, Sean. It's pretty bad. Hard to gauge. Uh, so he died a few years later and because he couldn't 
access his family vaults, he was buried in an unmarked grave in the paupers section of St. Louis number one. That's a thing? Mm-hmm. Understandably pissed off and very much not at rest, Henry Vines' spirit is still seen wandering the cemetery. A tall man with blue eyes comes up to tourists asking if they know where the Vines family tomb is located because he's having trouble finding it. Apparently, the ghost has even shown up at funerals that are taking place on the grounds because people are still buried in St. Louis, asking grieving family members of the deceased if there's any more room in the tomb for him. If I was a tall man with blue eyes and I lived you in... You are a tall man with blue eyes. And I lived in New Orleans. <laughs> I would be wearing old-timey clothes and constantly walking up to people in St. Louis Number 1 Cemetery. <laughs> it's not open to the public, so it would be tough for me to pull off, but it'd be worth it. <laughs> Henry has been caught on camera, and the voice of a male spirit has been captured as an EVP saying, I need to rest. We can't hear that, can we? Uh, no, I'm not sure where that was. I just read about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Another St. Louis spirit is Alphonse. This No last name? He's just like Madonna? He's <laughs> the share of St. Louis number one. Uh, this apparition has been seen gathering the flowers off of other graves and placing them on his own tomb. What a queen! Why is he doing that? <laughs> uh, you know, he likes the flowers. I assume the tomb is under the name Alphonse. That's how people know that's his name. Uh, he's also been seen taking tourists' hands and pulling them to a stop, smiling and asking them to bring him home. But people don't know where he means. Every time a visitor steps near the Panade family tomb, Alphonse appears to warn them, warn them to stay away. So does this mean that he was murdered or betrayed by someone in the Panade family? Who knows? Alphonse has got some very specific shit going on. I want the flowers and I want you to bring me home. And stay away from that tomb, honey. <laughs> the last and most famous spirit at St. Louis number one I'll be discussing today is that of Marie Laveau, New Orleans famous voodoo queen. Yes. Marie Laveau is the most well-known voodoo practitioner in New Orleans history and has even had songs written about her, like Marie Laveau by Bobby Bear. Can y'all scream like a witch? Can you scream like a voodoo queen? Down in Louisiana where the black trees grow There's a voodoo lady named Marie Laveau Got a black cat too, a mojo bone Anyone who would leave her alone she go to say it really sort of slaps <laughs> except for all the <laughs> it's a bop born in 1801 marie practiced fortune telling carrie can you scream like a witch well technically any scream i make is like a witch i won't do it for the audience and interest of their ears but just know it's in my heart uh, marie practiced fortune telling created herbal remedies and worked under a variety of occult beliefs Marie started work as a hairdresser, visiting the most affluent homes in town to style the hair of the women of the house. And in these homes, in exchange for charms, prayers, and spells, the slaves owned by the homeowners would tell Marie the family's secrets and dirty laundry. Ooh. 
Because of this extraordinary knowledge, her fame and mediumship and insight grew. And as her fame grew, many townspeople sought out Marie to beg her for help with problems or assistance in their own spells and rituals. So she would like hear from your cook that your husband was having an affair on you? And be like, you you might need a love potion because I've heard stuff about your husband from the spirits. Yes, the cards tell me. (laughs) The most famous legend about Marie Laveau involves her being offered a house on St. Anne Street in exchange for manipulating forces to exonerate the innocent son of a rich man. This son had been accused of murder. So how could she accomplish such a feat? The boy's lawyers had told the father his case was hopeless, and Marie was his last-ditch effort. Well, there is precedent on this podcast for spirits appearing in court. (laughs) Again, another mini-sode. Oh, wow. I'm pimping those like crazy. (laughs) Guys, we have some really good content over on Patreon that you're missing out on, frankly. Patreon.com slash ain't it scary. So Marie took on the challenge because she wanted that house. She spent weeks praying at St. Louis Church. And during this time, she underwent a form of self-torture as a tribute to the spirits or gods above. She put three extremely hot guinea peppers in her mouth and held them there for hours every time she went to pray, hoping the spirits would take pity on her great suffering on behalf of her intention to free the boy. The morning of the trial, she snuck into court with the peppers that had been in her mouth and placed them under the judge's seat. Some believe the energy from those peppers caused the judge to set the boy free because he was, Either way, she got that house, and she lived there until her death. Was the kid really innocent? That's what the legend says. It says, that's what the legend says. Who knows? Well, I gotta, I gotta say, I see why this Hot Ones is getting so popular on the YouTube. <laughs> Turns out you can do magic. I read about that in a magic shop in New Orleans, too. That, that, or a voodoo shop. Just the idea of that being like a powerful driver for... Um, folk magic or for curses or, or yeah, it's healing almost or like whatever. a self-flagellation thing and your suffering is supposed to appease the spirits and make them go like whoa this guy's serious we got a cabinet full of hot sauce upstairs <sighs> i could do some magic trust me when i had to bomb the spirits heard my cries for sure after marie's death she was buried in saint louis number one Visitors to the cemetery have reported seeing the ghost of Marie Laveau wearing her signature red and white turban walking through the tombs. And for those willing to disregard her or risking disregarding her beliefs or religion, reports exist of people being scratched, pinched, or shoved down to the ground. Wow. So so if you go there and you mock her spirit, she's going to hit you right back. I was just going to propose to my (laughs) fiance, my girlfriend, my wife. (laughs) Visitors have reported all sorts of paranormal happenings while trying to interact in good faith with the deceased voodoo queen, like feelings of being touched, becoming unexplainably ill, and hearing voices emanating from inside the tomb. So you go up there, you're being nice, and you turn sick all of a sudden? Sometimes. Sometimes she doesn't like your vibe. Well, did you get lunch on Bourbon Street? (laughs) Yeah, bourbon. Practice became common to mark the tomb of Marie Laveau with three X's, like with chalk or something like that, while asking her for a favor or making a wish. Legend has it that if the wish is granted, the person is required to return and place a gift at the site of her tomb. Unfortunately, this has led to a lot of vandalism, 
including two instances where the entire tomb was painted a Pepto-Bismol pink. Was it Breast Cancer Month, October? Oh, God. The well, the NFL does it for the cleats. <laughs> the result was the Archdiocese of New Orleans closing the cemetery off to the general public after March 2015, with only licensed tours now being allowed inside. Unfortunately, going back to our original story, we missed our shot to visit St. Louis on our 2019 New Orleans trip because a sudden insane lightning storm and monsoon that hit just as we were going to leave on our tour. Yep. So maybe, maybe daddy just thought ahead and got that proposal out of the way. Are you saying my father or you? As no, I was, uh, I was daddy. <laughs> I wouldn't, I, I would never call your dad daddy. That would be, that would be beyond you the You called path. yourself daddy. Well, Sean, on a scale of one to 10 screaming hot voodoo peppers, how haunted is St. Louis number one? You know, this is pretty good. <laughs> this is a pretty good cemetery. Uh, you're not allowed in. That raises the, no. that raises the level. Unless of, you're with a tour. I think I'm giving this one a seven. Seven. Yeah, I, I think the, less than Greyfriars Kirkyard. That was a seven point five. Yeah, Gray, Greyfriars had the the corpse pit. Yeah, it's true. There's no corpse pit at at. Uh, St. Louis number one, and I think that we know of, and I think Marie Laveau is a friendly spirit. I mean, you know, the 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 kind of scariest ghost we heard of here was Alphonse, <laughs> and um, give me I, those flowers. And he's just a dramatic old queen. <laughs> All right, we got seven screaming hot voodoo peppers. <sighs> Next, we journey to Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, France. Hmm. Père Lachaise, the largest cemetery in Paris, is the final resting place to some of the most famous artists of all time, including composer Frédéric Chopin, singers Edith Biaf and Jim Morrison of The Doors, writer Oscar Wilde, French novelist Marcel Proust, and more. All eras, all genres, mm -hmm. all art forms. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's definitely more. An estimated 300,000 to 1 million other deceased are buried here as well. It was even the site of the final battle between the Commune de France on one side and the troops of Versailles on another in May 1871. Now, here's what I want to know. It being this the resting place of so many artists, are the monuments particularly beautiful? Are they like artistic? Um, it's it's a, a lovely cemetery, but they're not all super fancy or anything. I think it just became the the fashion to get buried there with all the other cool cats. It's like a Hollywood forever. It's Paris forever. Exactly. It, it really is like that. Um, so this fight, uh, this battle took place in the cemetery grounds right between the graves. Even many lost their lives that day and 147 commune fighters who surrendered were just executed on the spot against the cemetery wall, which is now known as Le Mur des Federes. I'm probably butchering that. So it is a place rooted in tragedy and ghost stories. Mm, don't get to go get to the ghosts. Let's start with someone most of us have heard of, the lead singer of The Doors, Jim Morrison. Yeah. I love him two times. 
What? Love Me Two Times is a Doors song. Oh. <laughs> Love Me Two Times, girl. Yeah, they all sound like that. Morrison died tragically and mysteriously in Paris at the age of, you guessed it, 27. But it seems his spirit has not yet gone with him. Based on what? There have been multiple sightings of Jim roaming the cemetery, particularly around the area where he was buried. Bad poetry in an angelic voice rings through. <laughs> there was even a famous 1997 claim of capturing Jim in a photograph that, according to the UK's Daily Express, has been verified to be undoctored. The snapshot shows rock historian Brett Meisner standing next to Morrison's grave at the Père Lachaise Cemetery, and in the background there's a translucent white figure with its arms seemingly outstretched. And of course, we'll post this on the website. Mm -hmm. But just for your reference, Sean. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, you can say it wasn't doctored, but I still feel it looks like a double exposure, doesn't it? That's what the Daily Express says. They say it's undoctored, so who knows? So I see it. Yeah, there's like a ringer t-shirt floating in midair. Well, it looks like one of his classic poses where his arms are outstretched and he's like, Mah. you know, what he used to do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he's still doing that from beyond the grave. Um, so perhaps it is fitting that Morrison has become a haunt at Père Lachaise. He himself believed in life that he encountered the ghost of a Native American after witnessing a car accident in his youth, an incident he sang and wrote about in such songs as Peace Frog. Oh, is that why in Wayne's World 2, Jim Morrison shows up with a naked Indian to talk to Wayne in his dreams? Uh, probably, yeah. It's also been said that the ghost of Adolphe Thiers, prime minister under King Louis-Philippe in the 19th century, pulls on visitors' clothes if they walk too close to his resting place. Well, that's not allowed in uh, 2021, Jim. You can't be grabbing at women's <laughs> clothes. Adolphe. Adolphe, you can't be grabbing at women's clothes. Other tourists have reported seeing spectral lights and translucent figures roaming through the cemetery. Another famous ghost of Pierre Lachaise is said to be Marcel Proust himself, who died in 1922 at the age of 51 of pneumonia. The mime? That's Marcel Marceau, who is also buried there, Sean. Wow! So ha on you. How did I do that? <laughs> you picked the other guy named Marcel. Now, I assume we don't hear any moaning from Marcel Marceau's spirit. No, no. <laughs> you wouldn't, would you? He had wished, uh, Marcel Proust had wished to be buried next to his male lover, Maurice Ravel. But due to the time period, this wish was not granted because they didn't approve of homosexual relations. But he was the only one who read my book. <laughs> it seems now that Proust rises from his grave each night in search of Maurice. And Maurice does the same from his own tomb. But it seems they haven't found each other still, even in death. So, uh, meaning there are like eyewitness accounts of Marcel Proust wandering the cemetery? Seems like it. Okay. I, it's very romantic. I love like the idea of a wide shot of this and you see just the two ghosts both wandering, calling each other's names. Can't find each other. Sixth Sense style, baby. Mm -hmm. On a scale of one to ten terrible Doors songs, how haunted is Père Lachaise? Now, this one doesn't, this one seems pretty haunted to me. You've just got uh, lovers seeking each other. You've mm -hmm. got Jim Morrison hanging out. But everybody's really chill here. 
Yeah, the, the French, they're like, whoa, I'm a ghost. No, all, I don't we give smoke shit. cigarettes in the cemetery. That's why we're ghosts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. Um, are, am I ra- rating these on hauntedness or... How haunted does this feel to you? All right, I'm comfortable giving this a seven and a half. Does that put it right between the other two? It puts it at Greyfriars Kirkyard. All right, we got to move Greyfriars up to eight. Okay. Okay. So we, that's eight ghost puppies. That's eight ghost puppies for me. All right. We have one more location for you guys this episode. Let's bring it back to the U.S. with Westminster Burial Ground in Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, is this what I was saving my 10 for? We'll find out. <laughs> Formerly known as Westminster Presbyterian Cemetery, these burial grounds were established in 1786. Many well-known American Revolutionary War and War of 1812 heroes are buried at Westminster, but the most famous gravesite on the grounds is that of our beloved original sad boy, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, very mysterious death. <laughs> mm-hmm. He died under very strange circumstances, which we'll dive into someday because he is, after all, the namesake of our own little hyperactive dachshund. Right. But he either was like just an ill, like a, a very ill, depressed alcoholic, or he was murdered. It's one of those. Mm-hmm. And perhaps this strange death is the reason why his spirit is still not at rest. Poe was originally buried in an unmarked grave. Take a shot every time wow. we say that. Uh, toward the back of the burial grounds, but in 1875, Baltimore school children raised enough money through their Pennies for Poe project to erect a monument dedicated to the author at the entrance of the cemetery. That's nice. I mean, honestly, I think someone should have just given it to him. <laughs> right? This uh, monument also marks the final resting place of his wife, Virginia Clem Poe, and his mother-in-law, Maria Poe Clem. So they had to exhume them and move them over too? I assume so, yeah. Many have reported seeing Poe's spirit walking around his gravesite and even standing at the altar inside the nearby Westminster Hall Church. But Edgar isn't the only spirit haunting the area at night. <gasps> the infamous skull of Cambridge is also buried at Westminster. Cambridge or Cambridge? Cambridge. C-A-M-B-R-I-D-G-E? Yeah. It seems like Cambridge. So what skull? Whose skull? I w- w- what? It's unknown, Sean. But legend says it's from the decapitated head of an unnamed minister that was violently murdered. They don't even know who or why? No. Reports claim that the minister's skull would scream at all hours of the day and night. These screams were said what? to be so terrible, they would linger in the minds of those who spent prolonged time around it until it drove them to the point of insanity. Well, that, A, that's a Dungeons and Dragons magic item. Absolutely. The screaming skull. B, what? <laughs> it seems uh, so provable or disprovable. Well, Sean, how do you feel about the fact that the skull was even dug up and reburied, now encased in a cement block, to muffle the sounds of his screams? How often was it screaming? <laughs> Day and night. Some hear the disembodied screams to this day. The skull of Cambridge is so famous, in fact, it helped inspire a B-horror movie back in 1958 called, you guessed it, the Screaming the skull. skull. Of Cambridge? Oh. 
Nothing is more terrifying than the spine-chilling breath of a vampire woman. Ghostly, ghastly, as unreal as a will-o'-the-wisp. As real as the sc- skull. The, first of all, <laughs> great audio edit. Uh, that was how the trailer went out. The screaming sc- skull. Yeah, um, they, they apparently messed up. The sc- skull. Yeah, that's not just like a, a bad skip in the YouTube or whatever. That's how they, they said, cut and print. That's great. Good job. All right. Well, good on you guys. <laughs> Secondly, doesn't it start with nothing is more? <laughs> what, what is all that stuff about the like the a, screaming vampire woman? A screaming I, vampire woman. There's a lot going on in this movie. And then a Will of the Wisp gets involved. Are those in the movie? Or is that just... As unreal as a Will of the Wisp. As real as a screaming skuska skull. But the film is about a screaming skuskull. Among other things, it seems. I just want to know if this vampire woman is showing up. Seems like it. Are these hauntings not spooky enough for you, Sean? While you can head down to the Westminster Catacombs, said to be the most haunted place within the grounds. Wait, that's not where the screaming skull is. No. A grave robber from the nearby School of Medicine was reported to have been hanged after an angry mob discovered his crimes. And his spirit supposedly haunts the very catacombs he once plundered. I don't want to beat a dead horse. But if he is not a disembodied... Screaming skull. Piece of a skeleton <laughs> that shrieks day and night. He's not the scariest. I don't think he's the scariest part of the cemetery. I'm sorry. No. What, what does he do? He's just upset. He's just upset? Yeah, but not as upset as a screaming skull. I'm upset now. Am I scary? <laughs> On a scale of one to ten screaming skulls, how haunted is Westminster Burial Ground? This one's a nine, and I'm just not going up to the ten for the screaming skull because... um. I mean, if it's really a skull that's just screaming. <laughs> you from... can't get over it, can you? <laughs> <laughs> no, and it told us that just hearing it will drive you insane. Mm-hmm. Send you straight to the institution. Yeah, so even though this other guy downstairs is just kind of chilling. Downstairs in the catacombs. I'm going to give this. Yeah, he's got the basement apartment. <laughs> I'm going to give this a nine. A and nine. That's so I can leave a little room for our international friends next week. Nine screaming skulls. Lovely. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. Uh, we're going to do five more haunted cemetery locations from around the world next week. Ooh. And we'll see if any break into number 10. I don't know if it'll be 10 screaming skulls, 10 ghost puppies. Oh, Ten that, stones piled on your chest. That's a great point. We need to figure out the conversion rate for all these different scales, too. I think they're all, you know, an equal, like, one-to-one ratio. No, I didn't tell you that. I, 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 this was in my head. I thought it was clear that six stones piled on top of the head is equal to, like, ten screaming skulls. No, that's not how this works. <laughs> I'm not good at math, Sean. You can't do that to me. Okay, we'll see you back in a minute for the news. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. 
The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. This episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie is brought to you by Hunt a Killer. Do you have what it takes to go into the mind of a serial killer? The body? The soul? Or perhaps to solve a horrific case? When you join Hunt a Killer, you receive a box of cryptic clues mailed to you each month to test your detective skills and challenge even the most brilliant minds in a game designed to give you a journey into the mind of a killer so you can escape and I hope you escape with the answers that you need. Input our code SCARYSQUAD20 for 20% off. That's SCARYSQUAD20, S-C-A-R-Y-S-Q-U-A-D-2-0 for 20% off when you sign up for your first subscription box at huntakiller.com and find out if you have the guts to hunt a killer. That's again, SCARYSQUAD20 for 20% off. Hunt a killer. Join the hunt today. Let's hit up me and my boo. Bam, 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 wacka wacka. Yeah. It's a little sexy. Ew. The infamous Lizzie Borden murder house in Falls River, Massachusetts has sold to Lance Zoll, owner of the nationwide tour company U.S. Ghost Adventures. Damn it. Just as we're ramping up our house shopping operation. <laughs> I know. The residence, which was the site of the axe murders of Andrew and Abby Borden in 1892, has since the 1990s been a bed and breakfast open for home tours discussing the Lizzie Borden legend. The B&B was put on the market in January at a cool $2 million asking price, and it seems the price was right for Lance Zoll. Zoll will be taking over the location's business license, which plans to continue the bed and breakfast model, and, as Zoll tells Realtor.com, we'll be adding several different events for both visitors and locals. We want this to be a place where people can kind of come in just to have a good time as well. We really want to give more people a reason to go there, so more activities and more events. Great. I don't know if I want to stay there if people are, like, having... <laughs> murderous scavenger hunts all over the grounds or whatever but but yeah that sounds great zal says he's considering themes like victorian dinners nightly tours murder mystery dinners escape rooms ghost hunts and more quote i would like to have axe throwing in the mix just a couple of axe throwing lanes which would be a lot of fun we're going to look at producing an official lizzie borden axe that we will provide for axe throwing and also sell to guests. That's a direct quote? Direct from Zal. This! Oh, finally. A man whose heart is in the right place. <laughs> Branded Lizzie Borden axes. He is a king. <laughs> right behind your head right now, I have uh, a Lizzie Borden bobblehead from when I went uh, several years ago to the B&B. So hopefully we can hang up an axe right on the wall above it. 
Oh, I cannot wait for that Lizzie Borden hatchet. That's great. <laughs> Sounding like a real mensch, Zal says he plans to retain all of the dedicated staff who work at the Borden Bed and Breakfast and would like to potentially add some new hires as well. We here at Ain't It Scary wish Mr. Zal the best. Hopefully we'll visit once the acquisition is complete. Yeah, and get at us about a sponsorship. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash scary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. Yep, you heard all about some of that patreon content tonight go and get it come and join us over there it's a fun little community that we're trying to grow um so come and be a part of it and special thanks to the um top tier patrons the patrons in our top couple of tiers here nate curtis sean o'donnell jared chamberlain maria ferrante and robin mccabe love you guys show created by sean and carrie mccabe music by kyle ryan you can find kyle at his youtube channel music is a verb this has been a production of Longboy Media. One of Scotland's most notorious unsolved murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a garrote and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty, and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the cheese wire killer? Listen to the full series now, wherever you get your podcasts.